Today, what we're going to do in the message, as we continue to build anticipation for Christmas. Now, the anticipation that we have for Christmas is different than the anticipation that they had for Jesus coming the first time. Uh, The first Christmas was not much like the nostalgic Christmases that we look forward to. It was probably neither a white Christmas and it didn't smell like cinnamon and nutmeg. It took place in a barn (laughs) and there was a baby being born. That's a combination I don't want to imagine much more than I already have. (laughs) And so the first Christmas was nothing like the Christmases that we aspire to. Except for Jesus came on the scene to change everything. And so what we're going to do, instead of talking about the manger scene or talking about Jesus as a baby, we're going to go back 700 years to a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in his birth. One of them remarkable things, if Jesus had been born of a virgin, miraculous, amazing, marvelous, unknown in all of history, that'd be special. If Jesus, if there had been just a prophecy that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin and and he fulfilled that prophecy, a little more special, right? But when Jesus came, he fulfilled numerous prophecies about his birth and life that got fulfilled in his 33 years on, on this planet. And in, so in, in this two passages that we're going to look at, there are probably close to seven or eight promises that were fulfilled by Jesus. And so it's fun to look back and say, what is it that they were looking forward to that Jesus fulfilled when he came? Amen. There were so many promises, in fact, that Jesus fulfilled, so many prophecies that he, that he, he, he answered in his life and birth that they say that in order mathematically, it'd be the equivalent of covering the state of Texas in 50 cent pieces, three feet high, painting one of them red and sending somebody blindfolded into the state of Texas to go pick it out. That's the mathematical likelihood of Jesus fulfilling just a small number of the prophecies that he fulfilled, but he fulfilled even greater than the ones, especially even more than the ones we're going to cover today. At the time that, uh, so we're going to be looking at Isaiah nine verses six and seven, and we're going to read it together in just a moment. But, uh, the Israelites had had a, had a great king and they lost him and it looked, it, things looked bad. Things were, things were bad. The people were rebelling against God. They were fighting against God. And instead of, instead of responding with repentance and turning back to God, they doubled down on their sin. You ever done that? Like you just knew that you were going to get caught. So you're like, I'm in this. Might as well say it. <laughs> like in an argument, you're like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And then you say it. And you're like, oh, you're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let's go all in. Not, that's not how you should do it. I'm just saying that it happens sometimes to the weaker of us, um, like me. And, but, uh, things were getting worse. They were doubling down on their sin and God needed someone to go and take a message to him that he wasn't, he wasn't going to let things stay the way that they were going to stay. Because God intended to accomplish something, God intended to do something, and he wasn't quitting on his people, even if they had quit on him. Because God was going to be faithful, even in the face of faithlessness. And so he, he's scanning across, and he sees this guy, Isaiah, and, he's, and Isaiah's like, send me, I'll go. And God's like, you got some hard work ahead of you. You're going to come and bring a message of judgment. And you're going to come, and you're going to bring a message of redemption at the same time. Your life is going to be this paradox of, of judgment and redemption all mixed in with each other. And that's the message that you're going to take to these people. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 6 and 7. And, and this is uh, a prophecy, like I said, that was made 700 years ago, but made most famous by Charlie Brown in 1965. 
So if you could stand to your feet so we can read this together. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We'll read this together. For to us, a child is born. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit today. Help us to respond to you with faith, with love, and with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this message of judgment and redemption, redemption and judgment, God can't just let things continue to to go. He can't let people rebel against him or it wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be righteous if he just let it go. I'll tell you, I've got this really bad habit of just letting things go. You know, or, you know, I tell a story about this, um, one of my kids, I was like, go to bed. And the kid went to bed and got back out of bed. And then go back to bed, got out of bed again. Go back to bed, got out of bed again. I mean, we did this for like an hour, right? And like a hundred times. And it was like, go back to bed or you're going to get, you're going to get spanks if you get back out of your bed. And so my child got right back out of bed and came into the living room. And I was like, just go to bed. And my kid went back into the room and started crying. And I was like, I was, so I go in, I'm like, what is wrong? Like, I didn't even spank you. Like, nothing happened. I just, and my kid was like, you said you were going to spank me and you didn't. <laughs> Calling me to the floor. Can you believe that? Kid, do you want daddy to spank you? Yes. My poor child wanted boundaries. She needed her dad to be just and right, and, and, and right, and righteous. She needed me to, to, to do what I said I would do, mean what I said I meant, and, and just stick to my word. So I spanked her. She cried. I'm now crying, right? You know, it wasn't like, you know, spanking. We can talk about that another time. We're not whooping and beating our children. Sometimes we use that language. That's not what we mean. We do it in love just to get their attention because it hurts far worse to go undisciplined in our lives than to have a little stinging on the bottom right now. And so... um. So, you know, I, I was sitting here and, and God used that moment to show me. He's like, David, I never, I can't. I'm true to my word always. Yeah. Even when it means the death of my son. Wow. And God used that moment to teach me about my lack of justice and my lack of righteousness. Because I was just tired, daddy. <laughs> I wasn't just daddy. It wasn't mercy. It was tired. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like, I'm not going to discipline you this way. We're going to, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to show mercy because you're, I see, I see your weakness. You're going to experience mercy right now. We're letting this one go, but we're going to have a conversation. This is going to change. So, um, why was I talking about that? I really don't know. 
So it's not that there, so God makes this remarkable promise. I really, we're just going to move on. Um, God makes this remarkable promise in the story of oh, redemption and justice and judgment and everything. And so there's redemption. And so he's like, in the midst of all of this judgment, there's going to be redemption and there's going to be a redeemer who comes. And this is what you should be looking for in this redeemer. This is how you'll know that it's him. This is going to be the life and the personality and the way of this Messiah that's going to come. And so I want to look at, at, at who this Messiah is and what he was going to be like. And I want to, I want to look today at how he's going to carry it through. Uh, I added a point since I gave it to the AV team. I'm going to say my first point is that this Messiah is going to be human. I think it said from heaven. That's going to be point number two. He's human. A child is born. The passage says, if I said, you've got help coming, coming, redemption is coming for you. Victory's coming to you. Power's coming to you. Authority's coming to you. Money's coming from you, for you. You would not be looking for a child. You would barely be looking for a human. But it was necessary for God to send the help in the form of a human because Jesus was going to live a human life. And he was going to do so with righteousness and justice. And he was going to live perfectly pure and perfectly holy, completely sanctified to the Father. And so he had to come and live a human life. To bear the flesh that you and I bear so that he could come overcome at every point of our failing. So that he could take the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. This Messiah, he was going to be human. This Messiah, he was going to come from heaven. So a child is born. It says a son is given. And I talked about this last week. That Jesus wasn't created at, at conception. So Mary conceived of a child. Not the way that we conceive of a child. But, it, but, but the Holy Spirit planted the, 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 the seed in Mary's womb, and that's how conception happened. So this, this is, it is the word that has always existed forever. In John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So God existed before all things and over all things, we learn in Colossians, so that he could be preeminent in everything, right? So we know that about God. And that God, that word, that Jesus planted inside of Mary's womb to take on flesh. That was the new part was that he was taking on flesh where previously he had not flesh. And so he comes from heaven. Said, I think I said heaven sent. He was heaven sent. <laughs> and he has a name. He has a name that he's going to be known by. Names are important, aren't they? Yeah. Would a rose by any other name be a sweet? Vomit would not be as sweet a name. There's something pleasant about the word rose, is there not? There's a, there's a really funny video that gets circulated a little while ago. And, um, and in this, um, in this video, it's a, a German dude saying words and all these other, or a, a guy saying all these different words. And they're like, ambulance, 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 you know, and, and then he's like, you know, cause that's German for ambulance or something. And you're like, that doesn't sound safe to me. I'm not getting on that. If that thing comes to the door when I'm injured, I'm not getting in it. I'm going with a friend. I'll take the ambulance. Eh? But whatever that was in German, no thanks. That's scary. All right, what a name. Right? So names are important. You know, it'll either breed encouragement. You know, if, uh, well, I, I was going to give a very real example I'll stay away from. But uh, there's certain names, like if, 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 your last doc, if your doctor's last name was murder, you probably would find a new doctor. 
right? Or just die. You'd be like, no, not doing that. Names are important. And he offers some names that, that this Messiah will be known by. They describe his nature and his function. They describe his attributes. And they help us to understand who God is and what God desires for our life. For each of these names that are given for the names of Jesus, for each of these names that are prophesied about how he would be known, there are imposters that want to stand in the place of, of who Jesus is and how Jesus wants to stand in our life. So I want to go through these names and I want to talk about each name very briefly. And I want to talk about the imposter to the name. And I want to talk about the promise for each name. Wonderful counselor. Now, it just doesn't mean he's really good at listening to our feelings and, and drawing out questions. What this is getting at in, 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 the, in the original language is it's, it's getting at somebody who from a place of power and authority has and knows the way out. And the word wonderful that's chosen is a, one, is a word that's used for, for basically to say indescribable. So we have this indescribable one who knows the way out because he is the way out. That's just a little foreshadowing, right? He is the way out. He's the one with the answer. He's the one who, who knows where the hope is. He knows the one who knows where our victory is. He's the one who knows where our provision is. He's indescribable. He's beautiful. He's powerful. He's awesome. He's majestic. It's a little praise break happening right here. If he had a piano, if he had a, if he had a Nord stage too, he would have been praising hard with the stems and the drum sounds. He would have been going. He didn't have that. Just rocks and sticks and a revelation of God. I was at the mall yesterday and uh, there's this magic eight ball that claims to have all the answers. So I tested it. It didn't have all the answers. Just in case you were wondering. The magic eight ball that claims to have all the answers is only marginally better than a fortune cookie. <laughs> right? Which is only marginally better than, than maybe the Taco Bell packets that have little sayings on them as well. Like you're not going to get your life direction from a, from a magic eight ball or, or from a Taco Bell sleeve or, you know what I'm talking about, right? That you guys don't need a Taco Bell. You're good, healthy people. So they've got little sayings on all of them. For a while, one said, will you marry me? And I was like, oh, if only... You had come to me before I knew Megan. We would have such a happy life together. But I got better. That's <laughs> hot sauce. Like what? Man. Wonderful counselor. Indescribable one who knows the way. And he doesn't keep it a secret. This is the cool thing is that God delights in sharing all of those secrets with us. If we would just ask, he delights in hiding them in plain view. There's a, a, a missionary, Jim Elliott, said the, the, um, the curse of the Western church will be the dust on their Bibles. Oh, that's convicting, isn't it? It's terrifying. how quickly we're, we get comfortable or casual with the promises of God and with the person of God. But there's so much that can be sought out and known about who he is where we don't really have to wonder where we can know him. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago 
And uh, Elizabeth's dad, Elizabeth who lit the candle, uh, her dad was sharing a devotion on prayer. And as he was talking, I was like, this is a man who knows God. He's got a relationship with God. He told this really funny story about, about how, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was about himself. He's like, he, he was telling this story about a man who went into his prayer closet and as he walked out, the, he, felt like, he felt like the devil was lying to him and it was just talking to him and he was like, God didn't hear you. That prayer didn't matter. He's not gonna respond. He doesn't care about your faith. He's gonna leave you hanging. And he goes, just for that, I'm going for another hour because I know my father, I know my God, I know my word, I know the promise. So he goes back in and he prayed for another hour and he walked back out and the devil continued lying to him and said, hey, you know, God doesn't hear you. He doesn't care. He's not listening. You got to figure out how to do this on your own. He goes, you know what, devil, just for that, I'm going in for another hour. And so he goes in for another hour because he knows his God. He knows his word. He knows the promise. He knows that he's heard. He knows that God's going to move on his behalf. So he cries out to God for another hour and he walked out and the voice of accusation was silent. But you can only have that kind of confidence if you know who he is. For a while, you can go by my word. For a while, you can go by the word of the person down the aisle from you. But at a certain point, you need to grab hold of it and say, this is true for me and I'm running with it because I know this is right. Not because Pastor David or Pastor Brad or somebody else knows that it's right. Not because it was sung in a song and it was pretty and inspiring and I got goosebumps. But because we know it to be true. The second name given is Mighty God. Now, the word chosen for God here, mighty is pretty self-explanatory, but the word chosen for God here, some people look at that and they're like, well, it's not Yahweh. They didn't use the word Jehovah. They used this other word that's kind of, kind of a, kind of for a generic God. But I'll tell you what, the, the word God, the name God was not used to describe any other prophet or great person. It's a word that was de- devoted and dedicated to the Messiah who was coming. People weren't like Moses is a God. This Messiah would come on the scene. He'd be a wonderful counselor. He'd be a mighty, powerful God. Let there be no mistake about the power of God and his ability to reach, his ability to save, his ability to redeem, his ability to love, his ability to care for, his ability to provide. Let there be no doubt in his power. Let there be no doubt in his authority. Be encouraged knowing that he is able. And if he doesn't, it's because he's up to something better. Everlasting father. Oh, I love this one. I wish we had all week to talk about this. So check this out. It could be understood as father of eternity because he did create everything. He stands as the father of eternity. So like there's eternity, he made it. So think about the oldest thing that you can think of older. Think about the oldest person that you know, and then remember that they have a father. Right? It's kind of like, oh, like I, the lights turning on in my kid's mind. Like, who's, who's, your, who's your mom, dad? And, and it's like, oh, it's Nana. And he goes, oh, kind of like, I thought you were old. And then it's like, but check this out. Nana had a mom too. And they're like, what? You, you know? And her mom had a mom. You know, and it's just like, whoa, eternity has a father. It is Jesus. We know that, but that's not exactly what this is getting at. I just am excited about that. What this is getting at 
is a different idea. And it has to do with the placement of the words. And, and uh, the construction of the phrase, Father is the primary noun, and everlasting is the term that describes the fatherhood. And so he is Father forever. It's one thing to have a father who exists over there. It's another thing to have your own father. It's another thing to have a father for a season. It's a whole new thing to have a father who's right here with you forever to be your father. What do fathers do? They provide and they protect. So you have a protector and a provider in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. The everlasting father. And they speak to the beginning, to the end thing. Just a little funny theological thing. So they didn't say, it's, it's not translated really as eternal father, which would be both direction. It's the everlasting father. So one direction. And so somebody could look at that and say, well, see, he was going to be created and then he was going to go. But this isn't dealing with that. So it's asking the wrong question of a passage. It's not trying to answer. And it's imposing something from a later time on top of that that doesn't necessarily belong there. Does that make sense? And so don't be confused that Jesus is being called the everlasting father. Jesus is the, is the second person of the Godhead. You've got the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not saying that he's both the father and the son at the same time. Does that make sense? <laughs> All right. It was so like the first third was kind of with me. So, but we'll, we'll just keep going. And so we see that he's a father forever. Now, when you hear the word father, it's, it might, it's either a really joyful thing or a really stressful thing for you. You're like, man, my father's a good dude. My father cared for me and my father loved me. And, and you, it's, it's like it, it stirs up ideas of hope for you. For others of you, you're like, oh, I'd rather not. My first father uh, experience was, was not good. It was terrible. It was awful. And so to have a heavenly father is terrifying because it's like, now there's this God, now there's this father who's going to father me. Like I was, it was a good thing for me to get away from my other father. It might feel like, and so the idea of having a heavenly father who's going to be with you forever, that's terrifying. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's like, it's good to know you over there, but I don't want you in here. And I don't want you here forever because I know, in, I know that I, I feel exposed when, when you're near me because you, you know me and you, and you want to be close to me and you want to care for me. And I don't want you that close. I want you like over there. You can be somebody else's father. That's cool. Be there, really good father, but no thanks. I'll be all right. Wow. But what we have in this everlasting father is the one who will love perfectly. What we have in this everlasting father is one who doesn't discipline out of anger or out of, or out of, out of a rush to, to exert himself on us. What we have here is an everlasting father who operates from a place of love at all times. What we have in this everlasting father is one who will always provide and one who will always protect, one who will always stoop low to, to care for us and to, and, to, and, to, and to hold us tight and to dress our wounds and to help us heal. That's this promise of an everlasting father. It's one that we can go to without fear of, you know, of, of being whooped. But we can go and be like, Daddy, I'm weak. Daddy, I'm sad. Daddy, I messed up. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, hold me. Daddy, my heart hurts. Daddy, my heart was broken. Daddy, my leg is broken. Daddy, my finances are broken. Can you help me? What we have is a daddy in heaven who's anxious and excited and passionate about receiving us so much so that he came to us to show us what it looks like with skin on. That's what we're celebrating in this sweet eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. (laughs) 
Oh, I forgot to talk about the replacements, didn't I? Uh, the replacement for the mighty God is normally ourselves. Because we want to be in control and we want to take care of it ourselves and we think that we can figure it out. Much like a two-year-old trying to stack blocks into a tower and you're like, let daddy help you. And they're like, no, I'm doing it. I got it. I'm skilled. And then, you know, God's like, hey, let me do that. And we're like, no, I got it. I'll provide for myself. I'll make my own peace. I'll heal my own marriage. Then we have the, um, the everlasting father. Normally what we replace our fathers with, and I'm just kind of, uh, you know, I can't cover all of it, but it's oftentimes our jobs, our successes. We just try and, try and make up for that loss, and so we make ourselves. And I'm going to make my own name, or sometimes we make up for the loss of our father by trying to be a good father by penduluming and trying to do everything that they didn't do, but then we miss really the heart of a father. In overshooting what it is that a father is supposed to do. Replacement fathers are self-dependence once again. Oh, we've got the Prince of Peace. If, if we had a month, we could maybe start to do this justice. But the Prince of Peace, to the Hebrew reader, to the Hebrew hearer, the Prince wouldn't have been a secondary title. It wouldn't have been a less important thing or a less important person. The Prince of Peace, it, it's the same as saying that like the chief, the ruler, the king. It's, it's, it's a superlative title. It's not, it's not like a secondary thing. And so he's saying the Prince of Peace. He's the, the holder uh, and his kingdom is peace. His kingdom is peace. And that's what he's inviting us into. He's the prince of peace. And would you like to be a citizen of peace? It's available to you. I've done the visa work. All you have to do is show up to the passport office and let me stamp it with my blood and you can get into the kingdom of peace. It doesn't mean a pre, uh, it doesn't mean prince of comfort. Jesus was born into a remarkably difficult time. I already talked about he was born in a barn. He was born through a birth canal. He was, he's born into all of that. And then in a short time, when people found out that this new king was born, the king was going to, was going to call for the killing of all young males under the age of two. We got to kill them all because I can't have another king coming up in my kingdom and taking my place, usurping my authority. And so Jesus became with his parents refugees. Now at this point, they had some, they had some coin. Thanks to the, uh, thanks to the magi who came and, uh, you know, Hooked them with some gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But he was born into a difficult, terrible time and a terrible place. But that's where peace was pleased to come. All in the midst of the chaos. Peace was pleased to enter at that point. You know, he could have chosen any time. If I was God, I would have chosen an air-conditioned season. Or, you know, days where it's like 65 to 75 every day. And you're like, is this the hottest part of the day? I can't tell. Because it was awesome like this this morning. And it will be this evening too. And then it would get hot when I wanted it to. So I could go for a swim without getting cold. And then when I'm dry, it would cool off again. That's what I would do. But he came in a difficult time. Very much on purpose. Chose a difficult time to show that peace doesn't have anything to do with the outward circumstance, but has everything to do with the heart of a man. It's no wonder that Jesus was able to sleep on the boat when his disciples thought that they were going to die because the storm was so bad. Because he is the Prince of Peace. There he is sleeping again. We're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. What is he doing? He's the Prince of Peace. 
No wonder he wasn't panicked when his friend was dying. And everybody's like, you got to come. He's going to die. And he's like, I'll get there. And you don't know this yet, but he is going to die. You're going to be angry at me. And then I'm going to rise him from the dead. I'm going to call him up out of that grave. It's no wonder that he wasn't in a rush to let everybody know that he was the Messiah. He's like, he, he did these miracles. And, and then he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah. It's no wonder he wasn't in a rush. Yeah. He's the Prince of Peace. The replacement for peace is, is all sorts of things. It's really Netflix and ESPN will numb ourselves, really, in place of peace. Good. Numbing is the counterfeit peace. Because for a moment, I don't have to think about it. That's why people get drunk when they go to parties because social interaction is difficult. And so let me just not think about it at all. Instead of going into a difficult circumstance, a difficult situation, knowing that I've got peace down on the inside that can't be shaken, can't be affected by all of this. I don't care if it's an awkward conversation, difficult conversation or any other kind of conversation. I'm good for it because I've got peace. And I'm going to leave knowing that I said something stupid, but I got peace. And then you got peace on the back end because you don't have to wonder what happened. But we could have peace of Almighty God and it's found in Jesus himself. It's going to be established with justice and righteousness then and forevermore. And that's how, he's, that's how long it's going to happen. In case you wondered, is it like a temporary thing? No, it's a forever thing. If the titles didn't help us understand that, he just wants us to know this is always and forever. And the last thing I want to highlight is his zeal. The question is, how is this going to come, how is this going to, come to pass, God? Is it that we're going to do something awesome? Are we going to do something really great? And you're going to be pleased with us because we did something great. And then you're going to answer by doing something awesome in response to our awesomeness. And we just have like a, an awesome babushka doll, uh, <laughs> a babushka doll of awesome, right? Just opening up and opening up and opening up. And, and it's awesome at every layer. And you're like, this is great. Like tiramisu or something. <laughs> like each level, you're like, oh, this just keeps getting better. <laughs> Not tiramisu fans. Cheesecake. Cheesecake was good, and then it's that Oreo crumb at the bottom instead of the graham cracker one. And you're like, yes, just when I thought it could get no better. There it is. Oreos. It says that his zeal is going, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, will accomplish this. The word zeal is the word, it's the, 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 the word picture here is, is pretty cool. It's, it's the jealousy and the passion of a husband for his wife. The, the loving, excited, passionate, I'm coming for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do this. Baby, you don't worry about a thing. I got you. You know, like when we were engaged. <laughs> <laughs> it was really quiet, so I was like, we need to, everybody's like, it's, come on. <laughs> come on, gentlemen, stir that zeal. Put your eyes, baby, I got you this Christmas. <laughs> Ask a single guy, they've got all the best ideas. They think they know. They were, like, they've got all these plans. Just ask a college student. Like, hey, what should I do with my wife? They're going to look at you like you're stupid, but they're going to help. This is really good. That's why I was a campus minister for so long. It's like, how should I date my wife? What are you guys doing? They know all the cool places. They, all, they know all the good gadgets and all the fun stuff. And, and they got to do it with no money. So this Christmas, adopt a college student. 
but it's this zeal that he has and that he's going to accomplish it. And he's pleased to welcome us into it. Not because we were going to do something great, because he's going to do something great. God's like, I'm going to show off. I'm going to take care of this all by myself. I got this. <laughs> Hold my drink. <laughs> I almost said the worst version. Oh, I lost my job. Remember, remember when David was the pastor at Grace Covenant in Sterling? That was great. <laughs> Hold my communion wine. This is what I was referring to. It's a Christian thing. The world just... <laughs> a few years ago, there was an oil spill in the Gulf. And, and they couldn't stop it. And I couldn't understand why they can't stop it. It's like, well, you started it. Like, just go make a big cork and just like, how can we not do this? You found it, but you can't, you can't rein it in. Right now there are wildfires going on in California. They're calling it the third largest wildfire in California history. And, 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 and uh, I don't, I think there's been very little loss of life, but any loss of life is tragic, but we can't control it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't control it? We got like a billion fire trucks here and planes and stuff and fire retard. Just stop the fire. You ever feel, maybe it's just the cush Northern Virginia life that I grew up in, but I feel like most things we could solve. Right? Do you, do you feel any sense? Like you're like, why can't we just solve this? I've got your answer for racism. Let's just stop being racist. <laughs> just stop it. You know, I feel like I, I've got your answer for your, for a debt free life. Stop buying things you can't afford. Right? Like if only if it was that easy. We, we sometimes feel like with God, we bring more to the table than we really do. The issue that this is all getting at is that there's a problem that besets the human soul that no man can cure. No man can fix. The body can't heal itself of this one because it's woven into the DNA. It's woven into our fabric. And this thing that besets us all is sin. And out of love, God chose to come and redeem us from this, our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not the IRS. It's not a new tax code. It's not health insurance. It's not even sickness. The greatest enemy that we face that we can't overcome on our own is that of sin. And God, in his zeal, comes as our redeemer to save us, to restore us to himself and to give us life where we deserve death, to give us acceptance where we felt shame, to give us victory where we had defeat, to give us a family where we were lonely. This is what's offered to us in Christmas. You can't imagine why the angels rejoiced with the shepherds at Jesus' birth. You can see why the stars aligned in such a way that these men who were studying the sky rushed to come meet this king that had been anticipated. You can see why Simeon and Anna, at Jesus' dedication, they cried out with excitement sang songs. I imagine as I continued to think about, this was a sermon from a few weeks ago, as I've continued to think about Anna, I think she probably danced. Just an old woman jig. 
I'm not going to do it because we need to close. But I've got it. I engaged my imagination with this one and it's, it's a doozy. <laughs> Family, if you have never allowed Jesus to be these things for you and you've tried to stand in that place or you've put other things on the throne of your heart in place of Jesus who decides to dwell there, this is the time to take that off the throne and to let Jesus take his rightful place in your heart, your mind, and in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are all of these things. And even our understanding of these things fails in comparison to how you truly fulfill them. God, we are grateful for your love and your mercy. We're grateful for your justice. We're thankful, God, that that it's not just a message of judgment, but a judgment and redemption that's possible for us. God, I ask that as we begin to, as we continue to anticipate the coming of Christmas in just over a week, God, I ask that you would stir our hearts with anticipation to know you and to see you better, that you would show up in the middle of our chaos and bring us peace. You would show up in the middle of our dependence and you would be to us a father that we could be vulnerable and open to you, that we would rush to your loving arms. God, I ask that in place of of being the God of our own lives, that we would allow you to be mighty and move powerfully on our behalf. And God, that that we would not hesitate to seek out your peace and to let your zeal complete the good things that you intend to accomplish in our lives. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to freshly commit their life to Jesus maybe for the first time or maybe you're returning can you raise your hand so I can pray with you see that hand see that hand that's great see that hand if you raised your hand you can pray with me Father, thank you for your endless pursuit of me. Today, you've captured my heart. And I surrender to you. I choose to hide my life and find my life in Jesus. I receive the gift of forgiveness and mercy and grace. I turn from all the things that I know to be sin and ask that you would give me the courage and the the strength and the conviction to pursue you with with the abandonment that I once pursued my own desires with. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Thank you for allowing him to raise to life again so that I could too be raised to life into an everlasting life. Amen.